So this is going to be a several-parter. We'll kind of spend some time here in this section, verses 4 through 10. I title it Comprehending the Church, Comprehending the Church. Uh, I believe that um, among many people that there exists a, a great deal of confusion concerning the church or about the church. That is what it is or what it isn't exactly. Uh, similar uh, to the confusion that exists among people, even within the church, about love, what the Bible says about love. They're just, people are confused and need to be, have their thinking righted in this area for sure. And part of the confusion is no doubt due to the various ways in which we use the word church. And uh, it's not necessarily wrong the way we use the word church, but it, it implies something and the implication of how we use it can be taken to mean that is what it is or that's all it is and that's where uh, we go off base. I mean, if you look up the word church in the dictionary, just the you know, Webster's Dictionary, this is all it says, basically. It's a, bub- a public building used, or a public bu- a building used for public Christian worship. A building used for public Christian worship, church. And then they'll give you synonyms, you know, it's a place of worship, a house of God, chapel, church. By the way, house of God is close, but not in the way that they're suggesting, and I, and I just want you to note that. House of God is close, more close to the real definition, biblical definition of the church, but I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, you may be familiar even with the popular nursery rhyme. Um, it goes something like this. Here's the church, right? Here is the, so here's the church. What are they presenting? A building. Here, yeah, here's the steeple. And I teach you the thumbs of your doors. Open the doors and see all the people. Some of you, I think that's the first time you heard that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I heard that growing up. It's, it's a cute rhyme, uh, but it actually is not helpful when it comes to achieving a proper understanding of the church. It's not helpful. Concerning the way we use the word church, we might say things like, uh, hey, you need to go to church, right? We say that. Or or someone might say this, I don't have to go to church in order to be a Christian or have a relationship with God. You heard anybody say that? Maybe you said that at one point? Yeah. Yeah. that is an indication of a fundamental misunderstanding of what the church is. It implies that the church is, is simply a place, a physical building, somewhere you go to. Church is not a place. It is not. Fundamentally, church, according to the Word of God, and we'll look at that, It's not a place. It's also not an event or an activity. And yet, people speak of it that way. They'll say something like, let's do church. Let's do church. People might say, church is important. Okay? Church is important. And sometimes when people say that, they're referring to the importance of attending church. This Sunday gathering, this Sunday service, 
And this event is important, okay? It is. And the church has traditionally, for 2,000 years, gathered together on Sunday to worship our Lord together. But church is not the Sunday gathering. It is not. Someone might say, where is your church, right? Meaning, what does that mean? What's the address? What's the address of your church building? But the church does not actually have an address (laughs) that it is tied to. In fact, when this place empties out today, it could rightly be said that the church has left the building. Some of you Elvis fans maybe catch a connection there. But listen, one pastor says it this way, just simply reflecting on these things and our misunderstanding of the church. And our misunderstanding uh, has implications for the way we look at church or think about church or value church. But he says this, the church is not a place, it's not a building, it's not a preaching point, it's not a spiritual service provider. That's what some people think the church is. It's a people, a particular people, the new covenant blood-bought people of God. That's why Paul said, he goes on to say, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He didn't give himself up for a place, but for a people, for a people. You know, we have uh, illustrations. There's a pic. I don't know. I Hopefully we have this up here. I don't know how well it's going to turn out. Here's maybe a better picture of the church, right? So in my, that, that first illustration, the people are kind of in the building, but the reality is the blood-bought saints, believers, followers of Christ, they are what make up the building. They are the church. They are the church. And uh, beloved, confusion about the church, like I said, it's rampant. It's rampant. It's, It's everywhere, and our popular culture doesn't um, help us at all. It, It makes things only worse when we're trying to have clarity concerning what the church is. It does. For instance, okay, any, any country enthusiast singer? No, not country singers. Any, any people follow country in here? Having a heart? One. Okay, excellent. <laughs> uh, one. Not afraid to admit it. That's good. <laughs> so I was just thinking, I want you to hear this, and I just remind you, there is confusion about the church. You may have absorbed some of that confusion in your life. Uh, if you have, I want to root all that out. Okay, over the next several weeks, I want to root it out. Or you may have a very clear picture and an accurate picture of the church, and if you do, praise the Lord. I want to simply then confirm that and drive that home even more into your heart. But uh, I was just thinking, I don't know how to say her name, but she's a popular country singer, so I won't try to say her name, but uh, she has a song called My Church, and it's, it's high on the, whatever you call that. It's up there, you know, on the charts, Okay. So if you're into country, you've heard it. 
You've heard it. And so this is how the lyrics go. And I, I only am doing this because to show you kind of where, where we've devolved into of thinking uh, about the church, our culture, our pop culture. She says, this is the lyrics, I've cussed on a Sunday, I've cheated and I've lied, so it's already a perfect country song. I've fallen down from grace a few too many times, but I find holy redemption when I put this car in drive, roll the windows down and turn up the dial. And then the chorus, can I get a hallelujah? Can I get an amen? I can just see Christians going, this is so great, singing along to this. Feels like the Holy Ghost running through ya. When I play the highway FM, I... I find my soul revival singing every single verse. Yeah, I guess that's my church. That's my church? What? It gets worse. When Hank brings the sermon and Cash leads the choir, it gets my cold heart burning hotter than a ring of fire. When this wonderful world gets heavy and I need to find my escape, I just keep the wheels rolling, radio scrolling, till my sins wash away. Yeah. And then, of course, the chorus repeats, which I won't, with, yeah, I guess that's my church. You know, I'm trying to think, where's she coming from? So I, I looked it up, and uh, either way, it's, it lends confusion uh, to the idea of what church really is, but... She, you know, she says, I, I think my church is so autobiographical to me and my journey, even though it's a universal message. You know, everyone feels a connection to music. So her, that whole picture of that song is some experience that she's having uh, with, with the music when she's out on the road and she feels this, these feelings come over her, blah, 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 and relates it to church. So for her, then, church is really just kind of an emotional high. And so she can say, yeah, this is, this is my church. But she's not the only one. Another very popular group, country group, and I'm picking on country uh, today, and I could, I could go other places as well, but it's Florida Georgia Line. You might be familiar with them. A very popular country song called Holy. Holy. It's an acronym, but they borrow from the hymn greatly. Uh, they use they use it as an acronym, which is uh, H-O-L-Y, High on Loving You. They're so tricky, you know, so wonderful at this. Uh, but it's a love song, and it's catchy, but at the very end of the song, the, the, the singer says, you're the healing hands where it used to hurt. You're my saving grace. You're my kind of church. You're holy. Okay, listen. Associating the word church with some universal, universal connection that people have with music or with the strong feeling a man might have for a woman does absolutely nothing to help us grasp what the church really is and how incredible and amazing it actually is. In fact, I would say it undermines the glory and the wonder that is the church. And that's why those songs irritate me so. They're catchy, but they irritate my heart and my soul for those reasons. They continue to, to promote an idea of the church that falls so short of what the church truly is. And so what is lost in all this confusion is, like I said, the real, the real beauty 
the real wonder and glory that is the church. The church, beloved, is indeed something very special on this earth. And your attitude in feeling towards it, okay, your attitude and feeling towards the church will flow from your understanding of it. How you think about the church will impact how you feel about the church, how you relate to the church, how you value it, or whether you value it. So in our text today, we're only barely going to begin uh, to look at it today. Just We're going to take it slow, intentionally. But in our text today, and maybe you've already looked at it, I don't know, but the word church is actually not used. You won't find it, not in verses 4 through 10. You won't find it in 1 Peter. But nevertheless, I can assure you that this section of God's word lays out a very helpful and informative description of the church. And as I've already stated, because there's so much confusion out there, I think it would be good for us to carefully and slowly consider what Paul says in these verses, 4 through 10 of chapter 2. Okay? All right. Comprehending the church, part 1. And beloved, a a right understanding of the church, really, and what we're going to see here is its nature, its purpose, its blessings and privileges. It's, like I said, it's critical in regard not only to our attitude about the church, but also in regard to living the way that God expects us, his redeemed people, to live. If we misunderstand the church, then we'll misunderstand God's call upon the church in our lives as those who are part of the church. So, 1 Peter, let's read the text in its entirety, and then we'll we'll begin to uh, work through it. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Apostle Peter writes this, As you come to him... A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So today we're going to primarily focus in on um, just one aspect of the church that can be drawn from this section, and that is the church's 
cornerstone. The church is cornerstone, as, it, as you see there in verse 6. Now, this cornerstone is not an actual stone, okay? But it's a person. Verse 6 makes that clear. Because it says, Behold, I am lying in Zion, laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Okay? Whoever believes in him. Peter, though, first describes this cornerstone in verse 4 as a living stone, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Who is this stone, beloved? Yeah, if you don't already know, you're not sure, but some have already said it, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the text here doesn't say that, so how can we know that for sure? We could simply, we could look at the text and clearly from all that's said about this living stone, this cornerstone, we could, we could conclude it is Jesus Christ the Lord that Peter is referring to. But, and we could also go to other places in Scripture that would uh, more readily confirm to us that this stone is Jesus Christ. But I'll take you just to one place so you can see with certainty we know that this stone that Peter refers to is the Lord Jesus. I'm going to take you to another section of God's Word where Peter is speaking, and it's found in the book of Acts, and it's in chapter 4, chapter 4. And I'm just going to read it, the 12 verses here, for some context, just to show you that we can know for certain that this stone that Peter is referring to as the living stone and cornerstone is Jesus Christ. It says in verse 1, and as they were speaking to the people, they here are, in the context, Peter and John, Peter and John. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, Peter and John, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So they were arrested for proclaiming Christ. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power... Or by what name did you do this? Now, they're talking about chapter 3. Peter healed a crippled man. He healed a crippled man, a poor, lame beggar. And um, you might remember the occasion. He's asking for some money. He's begging. Peter tells him, silver and gold I do not have. But then he gave him his health back in the name of Jesus Christ. So they want to know, how did you do this? By what power, by what name did you do this? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, rulers of the nation of Israel, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead, which is what they were preaching and they got arrested for, by him this man is standing before you well. And then here it is, verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Okay? There it is. There it is. The stone references here in 1 Peter are clearly, clearly a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ and made uh, very clear here in verse 11 of Acts 4. So, let me say this, and we'll get more, get more into this uh, next time, but Peter doesn't just use the stone imagery to refer to Jesus Christ, as you may have noticed when we read the passages in verses in 4 through 10, but he also uses the imagery for his Christian readers, for his Christian readers or for Christians, us who are Christians by extension. He likens them to living stones in verse 5, of chapter 2, 1 Peter, that are being built up as a spiritual house. And so, like I said, we'll come back to that next time. But today, I just wanted to mention that right now, and today we're going to focus primarily on the stone who is Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ. So first, what are we to make of the stone imagery? What are we to make of it? How are we to understand it? In what sense or in what way should we think about Jesus Christ being a stone? Okay? Well, the term, I'm going to read you from one source. One scholar says this, and this is important to note. The term that is translated, the Greek term that's translated stone, lithos, stone, here in 1 Peter is the usual uh, word used with the construction of a building, of a building. Palestinian structures were commonly made of stone. It refers to a prepared stone, one that has been shaped for its place in the building. As such, it's to be distinguished from petros, a loose stone, lying, another Greek word, lying on a field or roadside, and from Petra, a rock, or simply rock in contrast with something such as sand or metal. Okay? So it's a, when he uses the word, and he's, and he's talking about stones here, it would then, and they understood that word, his readers, it would conjure up in their minds stones prepared and used for making a building. Are you with me? Not just some rock, not just some pebble that you pick up and cast across the lake, but a particular type of stone, one prepared specially and used specially for a building. Uh, You might just refer to them as building stones. So Jesus is a building stone. You with me so far? That's how we are to think of him. He is a building stone. Now, a very special one. A very special one, as we shall see. But what particular building or structure might Peter be thinking of? A physical or material one? Would that make any sense? Is he thinking, so Jesus is a 
building stone. And he's part of that building over there. A physical building? Is that what he's thinking of? Hello, talk to me. No, of course not, right? Of course not. Rather, the stone that is Christ is the living stone and cornerstone of the church, of the church or the spiritual house, as Peter puts it in verse 5. So Jesus is a building stone of the church. You with me? He's a building stone of the church. Okay? Paul speaks in a similar way in Ephesians 2, speaking here to the church about the church. He says this in verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, and he's, he's talking right there in context to Gentiles. He's talking about this beautiful thing, the church now comprised of Gentile, not a building, but of people, both Gentile and Jew, brought together to form this beautiful thing that God has made called the church. But he goes on to say, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The household of God. That's the church, beloved. Built, this church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So they lay out the foundation through the proclamation of the word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus himself being the, here it is again, that idea, cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, is he talking about a physical structure? No, a spiritual one, one made of people. The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Commenting on this passage here, just thinking about that a little bit and what Paul is saying about the church, he makes this comment, which I found helpful. He says this, one writer says this, In the Old Testament, God's glory was in the temple. It was a physical temple, which represented his presence with the people. But in this age, God dwells in his new temple, which is constructed not from inanimate materials, wood, rock, but of living believers. It's constructed of living believers. What is that? The church. And we'll talk about this more. The living stones. This new entity is structured on the apostles and prophets with Christ being the chief cornerstone. It is indwelt by God through the agency of the Holy Spirit. So going back to our text, in verse 4 of chapter 2, Peter describes Jesus Christ not just as a stone, okay, but as a what? Look back at your text. As a what? What type of stone? Huh? Yes? What does he do in verse 4? We're going to look at that one first. Living. Okay? Living. Now think with me. Think with me. On the surface, that phrase appears to be quite strange. That is a strange metaphor, beloved. I mean, think about it. These two ideas, these two images definitely don't go together. When you think of a stone, the last thing you would think of is life, right? Okay. Uh, A more natural pairing with the word stone would be dead. In fact, we, we use that terminology. We use that phrase. We'll say it's a stone dead, 
which basically means it absolutely has no life at all or it is lifeless. But when it comes to Jesus, the metaphor that Peter uses, and he's the only one, he's the only one that uses that particular phrase, living stone. When it comes to Jesus, it's quite fitting. Since Jesus is not only a chosen and precious stone, but a living stone, meaning he is not dead. He is not dead or lifeless, but rather, church, He is very much alive. He is very much alive. For Jesus Christ is the resurrected and living one. And as the eternal living one, beloved, he possesses and imparts eternal life to all who through saving faith have been united with him and made part of the church of the living God. Or let me say it this way. Jesus is the stone of the building, the church, that gives life to all the other stones of the building, the church. So that Peter then can also refer to believers or Christians in verse 5 who make up the church. He can refer to them then as living stones. Living stones. You got it? So without the living stone... There can be no living stones. Without the living stone, Jesus Christ, there would be no living stones. And just ponder that with me then. So any group of people, and there are plenty of them, who identify as a church, okay? They identify as a church or the church but in one way or another reject, either outright or by distortion, the biblical Christ, the living stone. Any church that does that, call themselves a church, no matter how much they appear to be alive, are in reality spiritually dead and completely cut off from God. You hear me? Their group or their structure, if you will, is nothing more than a bunch of lifeless, dead stones stacked on top of one another. There's no life there. There's, no, there's nothing there because they, that building, that church does not possess the living stone. The church of the living God is built on the living stone, Jesus Christ. Additionally, Jesus is not only the living stone of the church, imparting life to all who make up God's church, but he is also, you guys mentioned earlier, according to Peter, the cornerstone of the church. The cornerstone of the church. What is a cornerstone? And again, we don't, this this terminology just probably doesn't even... It's not common. We don't build houses out of stone, typically. We build them out of wood or brick or whatever, metal. But I'll tell you what the term means, that term specifically. It just means the stone belonging to or laying at the extreme corner. (laughs) That's all it means. The stone belonging to or laying at the extreme corner. But Peter's readers would have immediately understood 
what that does mean to refer to Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. But basically what Peter's telling you is, yes, he's the living stone. He's the resurrected one. He imparts life to the building, the church, all the living stones that are there, all those who are, have been saved by Christ. But now I'm going to tell you his position in the building, the church. He is the cornerstone of the church. Okay, so he's at the far corner. What is that all about? Well, looking at several things that uh, commentators uh, added to this discussion, one says that generally the stone, the cornerstone, has been understood as the large stone that's placed upon the foundation at one of the corners. Okay? It is the con- cornerstone. Why is it there? Well, for several reasons. One, it controls the lines of the building. It controls the lines of the building. The stone sets all the proper angles for the building. It's like, it's like as, as one writer points out, a, a building's plumb line, and that it sets the horizontal and vertical lines of the rest of the building. Okay? It establishes uh, the symmetry of the entire structure. And people have looked into this, um, have found that one stone in a quarry that was a cornerstone, it was 69 feet by 12 feet by 13 feet. That's a big stone. So it's not like, you know, like, you know, a little rock, okay, or pebble or whatever. This is massive. Um, And great cost and care of the corner foundation stone, it, it took a lot to obtain it, to move it, to lay it in place. But the idea is that stone then um, defines the rest of the building. Hello? You with me? It makes sure that the walls are accurately laid and straight so that the structure is firm and secure. Uh, One writer says, once this large foundation cornerstone was in place, then the rest of the building was determined. Cornerstone, pretty important stone. Yeah. No safe building without the cornerstone. Another writer says, A cornerstone is the visible support on which the rest of the building relies for strength and stability. Strength and stability. Believers trust in Christ much as a building rests on its cornerstone. So here... I'm actually going to not go any further in the text this morning. I just want you to get some simple ideas and, and, and think on those and how that relates to, to how you view the church. So think about this. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about the church and consider uh, who's in the church, what makes up the church, the first thing is it's Christ, right? He is the living stone. There is no church. There is no living church without the living stone who who the resurrected one grants life to that church. But beyond that, uh, he is the very cornerstone. This thing cannot be built without him. Okay? So I was thinking about that. What that strikes me with is privilege to then be a part of that building. Privilege. Think about it. We get all worked up if we're, generally speaking, we get worked up if we are in a place where there is a star. 
I used to remember this. I used to go to the Laker games many eons ago. And the excitement that is generated, because generally speaking, there were stars down in the expensive seats. And you could see the enthusiasm and excitement just to be in the same building as that star. Beloved. You know, and they're just, they're stars. They're just human beings. But I'll set that aside for now. But think about this. If you are part of the church, you are part of the very building where Jesus Christ resides. You hear me? Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and King of kings, you are, you are part of that building where he is the living stone giving you life and he is that cornerstone being built on him. That's privilege, beloved. That's privilege. Beyond that, I think of confidence and security. I think of confidence and security when I think about the church and understanding what the church is. Christ being the living stone and the cornerstone. Just think this through with me. The readers were under pressure being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter really, uh, with these words, reinforces their confidence and their hope. Because this structure that they are a part of is never coming down. It's never coming down. Nothing can break it. The living stone is the one who makes it up, and he is the great cornerstone. This building is built to withstand any pressure. The church continues, beloved. You think about this. The church, over 2,000 years, has been under pressure. It has been attacked from one side to another, and yet it stands. It continues on. It thrives. Why? Who's its builder? Who's its cornerstone? Who's the living stone? And you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, are a part of that indestructible building. Beloved, the world is out of whack. Okay? It's out of whack. And every structure that you know around you may crumble at some point if it hasn't already. But the church will never crumble. It will never break down. And it is because of who occupies that building, who makes up that building. And it is the one, Jesus Christ, the living stone and cornerstone. Let me say this to you as well. People, um, there can be people here, right, that are not part of the church, see? Because when you think differently, they're not part of the church. See, if we think of the church as a building, then, yeah, I'm part of the church because I go to church. No, that's not how you're part of the church because the church is not a place. You become part of the church through Jesus Christ, through faith in him. So the church is here right now. They're here. But not everyone here is the church. You with me? They're with us, but they're outside. They're not part of the building. They haven't been brought in. And there's only one way to get brought in through repentance and faith in the Lord. And maybe that's you this morning. So we're glad you're here. And we invite you to come and participate with the church. But more than that, we want you to become part of the church.
Because it is the only structure that's not going down, my friends. And it is the structure that Christ is coming back to retrieve, the church. So I would invite you to think seriously about repenting and turning to Christ and putting your faith in him and being made part of the church, that blessed building, that glorious building, that privileged building this morning. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you for the church. And, and Lord, in, in light of just all that your word has to say, and even just the few things that we drew out from this text this morning, how it must burden you for us, for us or the popular culture around us to, to bring the church so low in the way it talks about it or thinks about it. I mean, even just as we think about it this morning, my goodness, to, to, to associate in a song the idea that the church is, is just a feeling or a desire that, that someone has. It, it's, it's just about an experience. Totally misses the, the wonder that is the church and misses the glory that is Christ. Father, I pray in our own minds that over the next couple of weeks as we evaluate from this text what the church is, the nature of it, and, and beyond that, what its purpose is and, and what its privileges and blessings are. Father, help us to, to have right thinking concerning this matter. I pray that we would, would remove any and all thinking that we have allowed to come into our mind about the church that really is degrading and is not give it its proper value. Father, I thank you for the church. I thank you that you have made me a part of it by your sovereign grace and love. It is a glorious thing on this earth, and I pray that, that as we examine it, that we would value it even more, Father, that we would not take it for granted. We we read from Genesis this morning, you are indeed the creator, the creator of this universe and all that we see. But Father, you are the creator of the church as well. It is your idea, your design, your holy building. And your son occupies a central place in it. For that, we are so grateful and privileged to be a part of that. Father, help us to value the church. Help us to see it rightly and help us proclaim the one who can bring others into this great, beautiful thing called the church if they would but place their faith and trust and hope in him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the living stone, the cornerstone. It's in his name we pray. Amen.